Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 17. I had John read uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, with which we are familiar, as something of a background for an episode in the disciples' lives later on, where I think Jesus drives the point home even more deeply into their lives. Uh, Yesterday, when the ambulance call came through to go to Van's house, um, and I was thinking about it just this morning as I was getting ready to pray for the different needs, that uh, in addition to myself, there were three other brothers in Christ that were on that ambulance call uh, from our church. And I was thinking about it too, and it just hit me quickly that um, when you serve in uh, some type of uh, service like that, of uh, ambulance or fire or police, you your life is set up for emergency. You, that is part of what goes with it. You have the, the interruption of emergency. It's part of the design. And so the tone goes off. In fact, we were sitting there this morning just as John was reading scripture and my phone buzzed and I looked and uh, right now there's an ambulance call. And uh, I think probably that means Dave is on that call, Dave Abrahamson. So right now he's on an ambulance call. And so uh, you're, the, the emergency interruption is something that goes with special services, first responder services. But I was thinking about it, and from the passage, I hope in some way faithfully to show that our lives as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ has an emergency response interruption built into it that there are times when the Lord does interrupt what we are planning to do because there's an emergency need. He interrupts and takes us in a place where we need to see his grace at work and he needs to use us in those settings. And as we come to Luke 17, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 21. And it's a well-known passage where Jesus cleanses the ten lepers. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, Luke points out. And let's give a little word of introduction here. And by saying that, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's not simply just giving us a a GPS roadmap course. Going to Jerusalem is by design that Jesus is heading for his appointment at the cross. That is always lying behind what Luke is driving home about the Savior. And it's very important for us to remember in ministry, the cross lies behind all that we move forward in the grace of Christ. And that's always the target as well. That's the destination, the cross of Christ. He has spoken to the disciples, you're going to have to take up your cross daily. Now, taking up the cross daily, like someone will say, well, i got bad knees, that's the cross I have to bear. No, you just have bad knees. Uh, The cross, bearing the cross means that I also am crucified with Christ. My life is no longer my own, and the call of sacrifice, the call of ministry, the call of bestowing grace, that's the cross I also must bear daily. That's what it means. That's the cross we bear. The cross of Christ that brought us salvation is now the cross of ministry that we carry with our Savior. 
So that's, he's been driving that point home to the disciples. And so we come here to Luke chapter 17, and I call this, um, I want to call it the, the Redeemer's detour for ministry. It's a detour. He takes them down a path they weren't expecting. Now, he's done that other times with the disciples, and sometimes those are the most unusual things. He takes them to Tyre and Sidon, and there was the woman, the Syrophoenician woman. That means, in other words, she's not Jewish, and it's a very Gentile area, and my daughter is possessed by an unclean spirit, and she's following after Jesus and the disciples, crying out and crying out and crying out, please heal my daughter, please heal my daughter. And he doesn't stop like he did for Bartimaeus, the blind man at the side of the road. He keeps moving. I am sure if we were with the disciples at times, if we tried to outline Jesus' paradigm, we would have a very hard time figuring how he's responding at different times in different ways. He goes all the way into the house where he's to be a guest, and the woman follows there. And she's crying out, and finally the disciple says, Master, can you send her away? She's kind of bothering us. And um, so he turns and he says, you know, it's not good to give uh, the children's food to the little dogs. And I'm thinking the disciples probably thought, we didn't expect you to, that's not what we were thinking when you, we would have put that more tactfully. And the woman said, even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs from the table. And in that humble faith, she says, if you give me the crumbs of your grace, that will be all I need. And he commends her and he says, Look at this great faith of this woman. The disciples needed that encounter. We need that encounter. These are the kind of ways Jesus works as he's working with the disciples. So we want to understand the picture here as he cleanses the ten lepers. He says he's on his way to Jerusalem, and where he ends up is not technically on the way to Jerusalem. This is one of those bad GPS routes that your machine took you on one time. This is not where I was supposed to be. Nancy and I were following ours one time, and the country road, and kept showing us keep going, gravel road, and then two tire ruts, and then an open field, and then the screen just turned solid green. So I, I don't, we were not, we, something was wrong there. So this is not the route to Jerusalem, technically. But it was the Heavenly Father's route for his son with his grace and a route and a detour that the disciples needed to take here. And what we're going to see here as we look at this passage is this detour for ministry is an opportunity for the Lord Jesus to work with the disciples, and I'll call it this, with an uncomfortable lesson, an undesirable place, an unlikely person, an unusual faith, an unnoticed invasion. So let's take a look. Luke chapter 17, let me read verses 11 through 19. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were healed. They were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And technically in their language, It's a common word. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has delivered you. It's a remarkable moment here. And uh, first of all, just to understand about leprosy, um, it was a broad term they used, and there were different ways it showed up. So they used it as a common word for skin disease. Some of the worst conditions were uh, bacterial or viral. Sometimes they healed on their own. Other times they did not. The worst kind would cause a decaying of the skin. Uh, The skin would begin to collapse into furrows. Uh, The decaying skin had a horrible smell to it. If it continued to progress, they would lose their fingers and their toes and sometimes their hands. And consequently, just to protect the community because there was an uncertainty, there would be an uncertainty whether it was contagious or not, They had to live in an isolated way. They had to shout leper, leper, as they walked among people. They had to forewarn people. These ten lepers, nine Jews, one Samaritan, meaning he's half Jewish, half Gentile, and he was looked down on for that, they lived in a border area. So in other words, the Jewish ones couldn't live in their Jewish community. The Samaritan one couldn't live in his Samaritan community, so... The ten of them lived in some kind of leprous community together, not claimed by anybody. So this was their circumstance. When healing did occur, you were to go to the priest and say, I've been healed of leprosy. Then there was an offering of thanks that you gave to the Lord to recognize he had cleansed you, purified you, and you could be restored to life in the community. So going to the priest was an important part of restoration of glory to God and testimony to the community that you could return. It was quite an anguish kind of life that they lived inside of. And Jesus takes the disciples there. He's going to one of the villages. There they are, these ten lepers. So first of all, the Lord Jesus takes them to an uncomfortable lesson. Into an uncomfortable lesson. I would guess any of us who know the Lord, we've had plenty of those uncomfortable lessons. And in fact, when you really have a bad, uncomfortable one, and you think, I am just not a good Christian. (laughs) I'm just like, man, how did I mess that up so much? And I just want to have us all be encouraged to know, he works with all of us. He exposes what we need to see. There are uncomfortable lessons we have to learn. He takes us into settings where, at times, 
We think we have a handle on something, and then there we are in the midst of it, and we realize we don't know what to do. Um, Nancy and I were on a missions trip years ago. Uh, we went to the Dominican Republic. It was kind of like a pastor's uh, orientation exposure trip to show this one ministry what they were doing in the Dominican Republic. And we were among some very poor people. And I, I just... I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to feel comfortable. I needed that lesson. It was awkward, but I needed it. So there are these uncomfortable lessons we have to learn, and there are some lessons we only learn by the uncomfortable circumstance that Jesus takes us into. We won't learn it just in the Bible study. He has to take us there, put us in the awkward place, and work with us. And we're going to see that unfold here more. So first of all, this detour of ministry is to teach the disciples and teach us some uncomfortable lessons for ministry. Now he takes them to an undesirable place. This was not, I'm sure, what the disciples had in mind. And it was a most awkward kind of setting. It's interesting, earlier in Luke, Jesus heals a leper by touching him, which had to be a shock. And in this case, he doesn't touch the lepers. He sends them off to see the priests. But the whole setting here is um, this place where the disciples are watching this. This is not where they would choose to go. In fact, all of their society and all of their Bible background training is, well, you avoid the lepers because of the danger of contamination, of being declared unclean, of being isolated yourself. And he takes them to this undesirable place. The suffering is overwhelming. Uh, It's anguishing. Their, Their suffering seems hopeless. And we have no indication, although it could be, but we have no indication from earlier in Luke after he had sent the team, the 70 out, 35 teams going out to minister on his mission, that any of them had ventured into the leper colonies, the leper communities. And so this was a lesson. He had to take them to the place that they may not desire to go on on their own. He takes them into an undesirable place. Not a place they would have chosen, but a place where they need to see the amazing way that God's grace works. As we remember with hearts open the amazing way that God's grace work, works. So it's an uncomfortable lesson, an undesirable place. But then we also have an unlikely person. Let's look at our scriptures again here. So they're going through. They come to the midst or in the middle point between Samaria and Galilee. It's a border town. There they are. They're ministering. He sends them off to see the priests. And we look at verse 15. Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. With a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And then Luke says, and he 
was a Samaritan. I like how Luke just does that. You know, it's just like, here's, here's the whole scenario. And then Luke says, oh, there's one more point here. It wasn't the Jewish ones. It was a Samaritan. It was the one who, even if he wasn't a leper, would be considered an outcast from the Jewish people. The background on Samaritans is when, back in the Old Testament days, when Israel was invaded by invading armies, uh, to be, because they were being chastised and corrected by the Lord, carried off into captivity. But also the invading armies, the Assyrians and Babylonians, they would plant people there in Israel, and then the Jewish people were intermarrying with the people. And this is all happening in the area of Samaria. So they were half Jewish, half Gentile, and the Jews who'd gone into captivity, captivity, when they come back, they're looking at them as like, collaborators with the enemy. You intermarried with the invaders? And what's interesting, there was a lot of Samaritan worship that was very similar to Jewish worship because they kept some of the customs. But the Jews rejected the Samaritans. Uh, Those of us who serve on uh, the ambulance corps, we're protected by what's called the Samaritan law. And so if we stop and assist and help and something goes awry, we cannot be sued. We're covered under the Good Samaritan Law. See, a Good Samaritan, man, it's really kind of neat to be a Good Samaritan. Well, no, not if you're Jewish, see? That was like, no, there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan. That that would not even cross their minds. So we have to understand, this, this man would have been an outcast anyhow. He's doubly an outcast because he's a Samaritan with leprosy. And who is it? that suddenly responds with overflowing worship and gratitude, it is the Samaritan. There are times when the Lord will take you on a detour of ministry that you were not expecting, and you will see God's grace break through in a person's life that you never would have guessed. Never would have guessed. Uh, we had a heartbreaking situation in Long Island. A uh, young couple in our church, uh, her dad, who lived further out in Long Island, was out jogging one morning, was hit by a car. He was in ICU, in the, in the emergency ICU. We head off to the hospital. And um, not only is the young couple there, uh, and it's her dad that's in the hospital, but that dad's mom, the grandmother, is in the emergency room, waiting room. And, you know, that, that situation as a pastor, you're, you're just trying to figure out what to say and what to do. And I'm just kind of talking to different members, and I'm talking to the grandma. And um, I honestly, I don't remember what all I said. I just started sharing Christ with her and whatever. And she looks up from her sorrow and looks me right in the eyes and listening to everything I said. And a couple weeks later, I'm talking to the young gal, the the granddaughter, and she says, I think my grandma came to Christ in the emergency room. She's a changed woman. She's not like what she was before. She has hope. She has joy. She started coming to church, and then she went home to be with the Lord a few years after that. It's astounding. It was amazing. And any of you who have been out ministering among people, you've seen that happen too. An unlikely person, humanly speaking, 
comes to Christ. And that's also why he takes us on the detours. They would not be in our normal course, on our normal path. They would not be in the GPS setting. He has to take us there for us to encounter them. But also an unusual faith. We begin to see how the Samaritan responds here. And as we take a look at this, verse 15, Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus goes on and, and answers, and he says, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? And uh, he, he, I think he asks that question to the, to the Samaritan. And the next question, I think he asks the disciples because he says, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And this moment of unusual faith tied in with an unlikely person is this moment where the Lord Jesus is showing the disciples, not only will you see the grace of God break through in unlikely lives, you will see unusual faith. Notice when he returned healed, the disciples didn't fall down at Jesus' feet, glorifying him in a loud voice, did they? I'm not going to be too hard on them. Haven't we all been in that setting where somebody is so overwhelmed with gratitude to the Lord, it emotionally and spiritually overwhelms them in celebration and gratitude. And in our flesh, we're kind of thinking, well, let's not get carried away. You know, and Jesus says, this man got carried away with it all. This man is overwhelmed with joy, glorifying God with a loud voice. This faith of this man rises up with joy and glory to God in celebration. And what's interesting, too, about this, how Jesus sets this up to expose what the Spirit of God is doing in this man's life. He doesn't say you're healed to the men. He says, go to the priests and show yourself. They do what Jesus says. They start heading to the priest. I mean, it's kind of like in the Old Testament when uh, Naaman, the Syrian commander, he wanted to be healed. And so Elijah said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And he kind of puts up a, a stink about it. He says, Syria's got rivers as good as Jordan River. And one of his servants says, you know, if he had told you to do some hard thing, wouldn't you have done it? He goes, yeah, I would have. So he goes and dips himself seven times in the Jordan River and he's healed. So there is a moment where Jesus is saying to them, head for the priest to show them. They're desperate. They head to the priest. And as they're going, they're healed. And the Samaritan leper realizes this, that his step of faith has also been joined with God's gracious healing hand. And he returns to give glory to Christ. You know, some say, well, Jesus did tell him to go to the priest. Well, I'm sure he went to the priest, but he had another stop to make. And that was with the Lord Jesus. This is important, too. How often do we pray for the relief of circumstances? I mean, don't we? I do. <laughs> and we pray regarding illnesses. We 
pray regarding job circumstances that need change or housing circumstances or whatever it might be. And we're grateful for God's generous hand when he relieves the circumstances. But how sad when someone asks for prayer, the Lord relieves the circumstances. But if they know the Lord, that they don't come back and glorify him greatly, or if they don't know Christ, that they don't see it as an invitation from the Heavenly Father, now come to Christ. We, again, over the years of ministry, we've, we've had people that don't know the Lord that have asked for prayer. And we've asked other believers, would you pray for this need? We've seen the Lord do some astounding works of intervention, only to see the person who received that great gift of the Lord's healing intervening hand then just go on their way. I mean, some of them I've gone back to. I said, you remember, you asked for prayer. You asked us to pray for you. And the Lord answered. Well, I know, but. And then there's that one word, but. And this unusual faith and Jesus has set up this entire moment to show the disciples as they go out and minister mercy, as they go out and minister compassion, be prepared. There are some that will be glad to receive the Lord's gracious hand, but not all will come back to meet Christ. I want to, I'm going to say to anyone here today, I, I know... Only a little bit about most of you, and then there's a few of you I know nothing about. And uh, I testify that because if you're just getting to know our church, I've probably asked your name three times, and you're just very patient with me, and I appreciate that. Um, So I want to tell you, the Lord knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you know about you. And if you're hoping and even praying and seeking some relief for some circumstance in your life, here's the deeper question. Do you want Jesus Christ? Do you want to meet him? Because you can, out of God's overflowing abundant mercies, because the kindness of God calls us to repentance, you can taste of his gifts of relief and rescue. But he's asking, now will you come and fall at the feet of my son, Jesus Christ, and meet him? So you may, maybe somebody here has experienced the Lord's rescue and relief, but you've not yet turned to Christ. What are you waiting for? Come to the Savior. The temporary relief is temporary. Knowing Christ is eternal life, life forever with him, rescued from the judgment of hell, a home in heaven to enjoy the delights of the heavenly father and all sin is gone, all darkness is gone, all heartbreak is gone, all sorrows are gone and you enjoy the smile of the heavenly father forever. What are you waiting for? Today, make this the day you come to Christ. It goes on here though, not only an unusual faith, but an unnoticed invasion. Now look at verses. Go on here to verses 20 and 21. Now when, and Luke does this 
to set up the lesson. Because the Pharisees aren't there at this setting. Just listen to what happens, though. Because this is tied in right away as Luke's driving his point home. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees, and it's actually worded this way. One time when he was asked by the Pharisees. So Luke is saying, I want to put this in a context. I want to put what I'm telling you here in a setting with a question that came to Jesus. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, like news reports. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is among you or it's in your midst. There was an invasion going on. The the Messiah, God's son, Jesus, God in the flesh has invaded human life. His grace is invading places of sin. His light is invading the darkness And the Pharisees are saying, well, where's your kingdom? And Jesus says, you're not going to find it in the news reports. You're not going to have somebody say, oh, the kingdom's happening over here. Oh, the kingdom is happening over there. Jesus said, it's happening in your midst. And I, I have a stop and understand this about this unnoticed invasion for your encouragement. Because as I have gotten to know a number of you, I watch you invading the needs of this world and invading people's lives with the mercy of grace of God. I Every once in a while, and that's one of the privileges of leadership is we mix with the people. Sometimes it takes a while. We'll find out the stories, the background stories. You know, like, oh, did someone check on so-and-so's house to make sure that their snow is cleared away? And then you go, and the snow's all cleared away. And there's no fingerprints. We can't find who cleared the snow. We ask around. Finally, you'll ask somebody, "Did you by any chance go over and clean?" Oh, yeah, you know. And you realize you found the culprit who cleared the snow because they won't answer your question directly. And there's these moments of mercy and care going on in people's lives. And the Pharisees are like holding court against Jesus, and Jesus says. My grace and kingdom have already invaded. It's walking among you. And I want to assure you, any of you that have let the Lord take you on detours of ministry to go care for people in need, he, you've allowed him joyfully to interrupt your schedules. In fact, there's some people I've gotten over my years in, in, in the local church where they, like, they live for the emergency. They live for the interruption. They have found so much joy. They're waiting for the next interruption. They're waiting for the next detour of ministry. And I want to encourage you all who have answered that call time and again. The Lord Jesus found it a delight to report about you. My kingdom is at work in the midst of the people. Your detour of ministry is being added to all the other detours of ministry that God's people are carrying on. Sometimes well-meaning authors will say, well, the church isn't doing its job. And I always kind of cringe on that. Like, I, There's part of my flesh wants to call up that author and say, 
How long did it take you to survey every single believer on the face of the earth? That must have taken you a couple of weeks, I guess, right? Church isn't doing his job. Well, maybe his church isn't doing the job, or maybe the people he particularly knows at his church isn't doing the job. And, uh, you know, if I were to say, you know, think of Mary Hickman. You don't know who Mary Hickman is. Nancy and I know who Mary Hickman is, and we know the impact she had on teens' lives on Long Island. You don't know. Jesus knows. Uh, You don't know Norm Berner. Nancy and I know Norm Berner. We know the impact Norm Berner had on the men he worked with in his job site. Jesus knows. And let's see, what was that woman's name who opened up her home in the Brewster area and took in pregnant teen girls? I don't remember her name, but Jesus does. The invasion, an unnoticed invasion. You take great hope and encouragement as you minister and with the joy of knowing he's taking me on a detour of ministry and my Savior says this is part of his invasion of his kingdom into this world. Finally, though, to pull this together, I think this is an undeniable opportunity of where we are right now in our nation. Um, I'll, I'm trying to think how, I'm going to put this as best I can, but uh, at least if I think the vast majority of us here are Americans or close enough to American life, you know what the American dream is. It, the American dream is in all those magazines where the people are sitting on the beach having their little cocktail with the little umbrella and the cruise ship is in the out in the bay waiting for them to return and I'm looking at those pictures and think who are these people but anyhow so um, you know that's the American dream is I, I get my own leisure I get my own schedule I get to do what I want and I have the money to do it and whatever listen I was born here I have the same thing you know and pardon me for telling one more story on myself, but it, I want to give you this to, just to kind of sketch this out here. Nancy and I, a few years ago, we took a day away, and uh, we like to go and go to Barnes & Noble, and we look at magazines, have a cup of coffee. And as we're going to sit down at this table, and there's a young man sitting there. I don't know what it was that triggered it. I noticed he was Russian. I said, oh, are you Russian? He goes, oh, yes. And I told him that I had actually been to Moscow and taught in a Bible college there and started a conversation. I mean, I'm sitting down, and he's sitting back here. So I'm kind of turned sideways. He's kind of turned sideways. And he started talking to me about things about the Lord, questions he had. And he's off doing spiritual searches. And so we talked for an hour. And I want to tell you, there was this, I mean, I just was saying, you know, just to kind of, hi, oh, you're Russian. And he wants to talk to me for an hour. And the Spirit of God saying, pour into him. And Greg's flesh is saying, I just want to drink my coffee and read my magazine. So, as you might guess, I kind of set that right with the Lord later on. So anyhow, um, we will have times, because of what's happening in our nation, I really believe, and I, I think our nation is under God's hand of judgment. And... The old preachers, back when I was a young preacher, the old preachers warned, this day will come. He will give us leaders that are blind to common sense. 
He will give us leaders who, who promote wickedness and evil. All God has to do is start pulling his hand back and darkness rises. The American dream is going to start really unraveling. And you and I have to be careful because it's kind of woven into our DNA that our heartbreak is not over the loss of the American dream, but that our heartbreak is over sinners lost without the grace of God dead in their sins, headed to hell, desperately needing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. There's an undeniable opportunity to reach out with the gospel more than ever before. If I am the only one with that problem where the Spirit of God is pulling you one way and your American dream desires are pulling you the other and there's a wrestling match, if I'm the only one, I am so happy for the rest of you. This is just Greg then, maybe. But just in case you feel that wrestling match, remember, this, these are the days of an undeniable opportunity for spreading the gospel. This is when we can say to people, the dreams that you have that are crumbling, let me tell you of the hope that lasts forever. Let me tell you why God is doing this to our country is because he wants you to have something that lasts forever. His grace, his love, his forgiveness. An undeniable opportunity to point people to Jesus Christ. We cannot miss that one. And we have to be ready for it. And even say, Lord, I want to be ready for those detours of ministry. So a few thoughts here. First of all, if you've experienced temporary rescue from the Lord... Ernie rescue is from the Lord's hand, 1 Timothy says, but the rescue that lasts forever is the one that comes through Christ. What salvation do you want? It's very interesting they have the same word for saved or delivered. Do you just want to be delivered from that circumstance, or do you want to be delivered from your sin and guilt before a holy God? Come to Christ today. I want us to be encouraged about the church's faithfulness and ministering in so many unnoticed ways. Watch out for those people. Watch out for that thing. Well, the church isn't doing its job. Be very careful. Don't get on board with accusations. There are so many ways God's people are ministering in so many places that we don't hear about. Incidentally, that's why it's always great when missionaries here listen to what they say. They will tell you stories you don't even know were going on of how God's grace is working. I'll say something else, too. As I've shared with you, my awkwardness in these settings, if you don't know how to do some work of mercy, compassion, grace, or ministry, and you see others who do know how to do it, ask them, how do you do that? I'm serious. I've done that. I've said to people, they go into settings, and I'll ask them. Of course, they think, wait, you're the guy that went to Bible school. Didn't they, like, give you a shot or something? Like, you know this, right? I will ask them. I'll say, how do you do that? How do you start the conversation? How do you respond? How do you sort out? And, of course, they'll tell you, well, I'm still learning. I know you're still learning, but you know more than I do. Ask people who are ministering in a certain way that you're thinking, I wish I knew how to do that. Ask them. They're not going to be offended. They're going to disciple you in some new ways. Don't be hard on yourself. If you've had to learn something the hard way, that is oftentimes how Jesus worked with the disciples and how he works with us. That's how he teaches us lessons we never forget. Also, if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you know him, you must expect 
that he is going to lead you into places you would not naturally go, but he won't leave you on your own. He's there with you to teach you. That's why he says, when you go to the prison, I'm there. When you go to the shut-in, I'm there. When you go to the hungry, I'm there. I'm teaching you in those settings. Think of how the church has ministered to you. Think of how you've ministered to others. And just think of all the ways you've seen the Lord carry on his work of ministry and press on in the work and opportunities you have. It is, when you read the Gospels, such an exciting journey to go through. On our Monday morning class in the Ministry Center, we're going through the life of Jesus. We're going through mainly Mark, but some of Luke and other Gospels. Our goal on that is not academic. Let's learn some more facts about Jesus, and I always urge them, all those that are there. I said, let's really let this be a moment where Jesus Christ meets with us and changes us and shapes us. That in this whole setting of this detour of ministry, here's the Lord Jesus taking us into um, an uncomfortable lesson, an undesirable place, meeting unlikely people with unexpected faith and uh, an unnoticed invasion as we bring the grace of Christ to others. And I'll finish with this also reminder. There's a lot of you here know that one of the toughest places to minister the grace of Christ is in your own large family circle. Right? And those are the trickiest ones. Because you have to sit with these folks at the Thanksgiving dinner table, right? You know, it's, this, these are the challenges. But you're not on your own. And in, even in those settings with the family, you ask the Lord, say, Lord, this, sometimes I don't even desire to be there. It's awkward. I'm not sure what to say and what do and what not to say and what not to do. You're not on your own. You are a messenger and minister of grace to that family setting of yours. Ask the Lord to give you grace and strength and help. And I know from what many of you have shared with me, you've seen the Lord work, even in your family circles, in amazing ways. The detour of ministry. That's where the Lord takes us to places we would not expect, but shows us ways he's going to work and glorify his name. Let me pray for us, all right? Well, uh, our Lord Jesus, as we've looked at this passage, uh, my heart desire is that, however I might describe it, that more than that, your word will bear fruit for us. Uh, You know my flesh, Lord, and um, I thank you that you've so patiently worked with me over the years and taught me some hard lessons that stayed with me. And I'm grateful, Lord, and I know my brothers and sisters have the same experience because that's who you are as our master.
I do thank you. We thank you for our church where your spirit has been very generous in teaching us and using us and ministering. And we want to see that happen more, Lord. We want the invasion to increase in intensity where your grace will break through in more people's lives in our area. So here we are, Lord. And we ask that uh, as you were headed for the cross, help us, Lord, to take up our cross daily and confess to you our lives are not our own. Our lives are yours. Wherever the detour takes us, fill us with your spirit. Give us opportunity to minister. Our dear Savior, we ask it in your name and all for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.